the cool thing is that 100% of the growth of Impact 100 has been organic. And by that, I mean every community where there's a chapter, there is a chapter because someone locally raised their hand and said, I want to bring this. My goal was to remove barriers. My goal was to get more women involved in their community because I knew the power of that. Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, the podcast that brings you practical advice, lessons, and stories from senior leaders and thought leaders from around the world. The Strategy and Leadership Podcast is brought to you by SME Strategy, working with organizations around the world to create and implement their strategic plans. To learn more, visit smestrategy.net. And now, your host, Anthony Taylor. Hey there, folks. Welcome to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor, and today I'm joined by Wendy Steele, who is the founder and chief executive at Impact 100 Global and the author of Invitation to Impact, Lighting the Path to Community Transformation. Wendy, how are you today? I am great, Anthony. Thanks. I'm happy to be with you. Likewise. I'm so excited to hear about your work. Tell our listeners a little bit about Impact 100. Tell us about what you've been up to for the past little while, and we'll go from there. Oh, my gosh. Well, about 20 years ago, I was a full-time banker, full-time mom living in Cincinnati. It was the summer of 2001, and I was really troubled that summer, reflecting on the women I had met after relocating to Cincinnati from the East Coast who just couldn't see a viable path to community service. I was very involved in a lot of different nonprofits. And when I would ask them to join me, they would tell me all the very legitimate reasons why they couldn't. They might say they were a stay-at-home mom and they couldn't justify paying a sitter. They might say they traveled for work and couldn't make regular meetings. But there was this general sense that they, they didn't, know enough. They didn't have enough money. They didn't have enough time to really make a difference. And so that summer, I went to overcome all of those objections to find ways around those barriers. When I was finished, I created what we now know is Impact 100. And it's a very simple and powerful concept. You gather at least 100 women who each donate $1,000 They pool that into grants that stay in their local community of $100,000 or more, and they offer it up. It's one woman, one donation, one vote. Women decide how involved or uninvolved they'll be in the process, but all get to be a part of something much bigger. That was summer of 2001. We gave away our first grant of $123,000 in 2002, and by the end of 2022, 65 impact chapters around the globe had given away more than $123 million. So we have grown a thousandfold in 20 years. And I stayed busy helping new chapters launch successfully in new communities and coaching and working with existing communities of impact 100 leaders as they transition through varying growth spurts, et cetera. So it is a busy time. That is so cool. I uh, What really stuck with me out of everything you shared was, you know, we talk about diversity and inclusion and, and equity. And 
as a white guy who does have a kid, you know, wouldn't have thought of the traditional barriers that would stop otherwise highly motivated people and making a difference, having a kid, not being able to do that. And I mean, even a thousand dollars could potentially be a barrier, but you're removing barriers for these people to contribute. And in the process, you know, creating tremendous impact. So kudos to you. That's so freaking cool. And, and what a legacy. And, and that's awesome. So I, I can ask you so much about the model because I am curious about it, but let's, let's look back and you said 20 years. So let's turn the clock back. What were some of the things that you learned as you begun that journey of both community impact, about engaging people, about building communities that uh, you'd like to share with our listeners today? My gosh, so many things. You know, I guess if we start at the beginning, why would someone who, as unlikely a founder as I, so I was a banker. Yes, I'd been involved in my community, but I was an economics major in college. Like I did not have the right pedigree. I wasn't born and raised in Cincinnati. But I think what happens, and most entrepreneurs can relate to this, when a problem really bothers you, when you find that it's coming up in the back of your mind, in my belief, is that that means this is your problem to figure out how to solve, that you've got a piece of the solution and you need to figure it out. And that's really how I felt. I felt an ownership to the problem, even though my business card, my stature in life and in the societal ecosystem wouldn't have told you that. And so sometimes we we say, well, I wasn't the firstborn or I wasn't the CEO or I wasn't the name a title. And it's, you know, the first thing I learned is if it bothers you, you probably can find a solution or and surround yourself with others. The next piece is quickly recognizing the strengths I had, the things that I was good at, and the things I wasn't. Sometimes when the story gets told by the media, they'll say, Wendy invited her friends. Wendy didn't invite her friends. They became really good friends. Wendy invited the smartest, most capable people who would not say yes to every idea that came out of my mouth, who would respectfully and from a place of intelligence push back. And so surrounding yourself with the right people, being honest about your strengths and your weaknesses, those were things that early on were the, were the reason that we were able to even get off of the starting line on this project. Yeah, absolutely. And what, like hearing about that and saying, you know, what would have needed to happen? Because in 2011 or 2001, sorry, you know, you didn't have the Instagram yeah. communities, you didn't have an email list, you were new to the neighborhood, <laughs> you know, it just took a lot of chutzpah to go out and just like reach out. But I think, you, you know, I assert going for your, like, there's a big enough problem that I am powered to solve. And you obviously had the background to understand the impact of it, but enough to shake someone's hand and say, hey, like, here's the deal I got for you. Like, what do you think? And and I think that many leaders now rely kind of too much on, call it digital technologies, and maybe underestimate the power of just the ask and the quality value and of something that really speaks to a person's heart. Because the $1,000 isn't the thing you're asking for. You're asking their like mental and emotional commitment to a cause much greater than them and a concept that never existed before. And, and I think that's what's really neat about your story. Thoughts? Do I have that more or less, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the $1,000 part is 
is a piece of it because even so first of all when i had the idea i myself had never given a check for a thousand dollars to a single charity before i'd never done it but i thought i probably could and it might be cool but the idea of that dollar amount is that it is a stop and think amount even if someone's very wealthy and they give big gifts they give gifts of a thousand dollars easily when someone asks you to do something with a thousand dollars you you hesitate and you wonder and it is in the connection to that initial gift that ensures a connection to the hundred thousand and now north of 123 million i want every single person who's ever written that thousand dollar check to be as connected to the 123 million that's gotten out there as they were to their thousand because it doesn't it didn't happen because of me it happened i mean okay it did happen because of me but not the numbers it takes everyone and that ownership that connection is key. It's a key component. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, the, the question about doing that to scale, you know, you can't be involved in every single group at all the time. So your ability to both duplicate yourself, communicate the secret sauce and, and to allow others into that process, dare I say smarter than you, because most people just say that, you know, what was that experience <laughs> going through the, the scale of getting this across 65 different groups? Um, so I'll be honest, it was kind of bumpy. You know, I'd love to tell you that it was smooth as silk, but it wasn't. When I created this, I actually thought I was solving a problem for Cincinnati. I never really realized that this was something that had a much more universal attraction. And how it happened was People Magazine wrote this, wrote a story and then the word started to spread. And, and so the cool thing is that 100% of the growth of Impact 100 has been organic. And by that, I mean, every community where there's a chapter, there is a chapter because someone locally raised their hand and said, I wanna bring this. My goal was to remove barriers. My goal was to get more women involved in their community because I knew the power of that. So I give the model freely. Every single person that has come and said, I would like to start a chapter, I work with and I help them. And part of what, and a lot of it's open source, but I know what works and I know what works well. Now, right now, I have more demand. I have more chapters looking to start than we have bandwidth to meet. And when I look, you know, when I look ahead, I think the next 20 years need to look different than the first 20 years, even though arguably the first 20 years were hugely successful, but they weren't, I don't think we've reached anywhere near what our highest potential is yet. Mm, I get that. So I want to ask you about the book, obviously, before I do, I'm going to ask you that we said, hey, I might not ask you a question that you won't be able to answer. I'm sure you'll be able to answer this one. They say, what do leaders whether they're women leaders or not, need to know about engaging potential female leaders. Because I know that there's conversations about barriers, a real or imagined. And as a white male, you know, I have my own biases, but what are the things that either current women leaders or potential women leaders, what are the things that get in the way of them like really owning their own greatness or or stepping into something, the possibility of something really big. I hope you understand the intent of my question. 
I totally understand the intent and I'm going to try to answer it because there are about 12 ways I could go in my answer. Here's what I would say doesn't work. And I've been on the receiving end of this where an organization recognizes that they're upside down. They don't have enough women either on their leadership team, on their board, on, you know, something, senior level women. And they come to a woman and they say, we really want to have a woman on our board. Someone said to me in my earlier in my career, they said, we really need a woman on the board. And we like you because you're a banker. And so you think like a man. I didn't join that board, just saying, like, didn't say it. Now, but the, but the idea is also, it doesn't mean everything has to be pink. Like there is a, there is this point where I think as leaders, you want to look at the gifts of the person, male or female, that you want to bring into leadership and recognize what gap they fill in so they understand clearly the value that you see in them and then they can determine their answer. And yes, sometimes, especially in today's world, there is an issue of wanting to diversify, wanting to be more inclusive. And so they might be the only black or brown person on that leadership team. They might be the only woman on that leadership team. But that can't be the reason. The reason has to be who they are and what they bring aside from the demographic box checking and lived experience. Now, sometimes it is all about the lived experience. It might be we deal with women, therefore we would like more women on our leadership team. That makes sense. You know, we serve this kind of clientele, therefore we need your lived experience. But then the important thing is make sure that those leaders that you're bringing on have a voice. They cannot be there in name only. They cannot be in your glossy little marketing brochures and your website unless you give them the podium and the microphone to share what they know, to share the wisdom that you brought them in for in the first place. Hey, Anthony here. One of the things I don't talk too much about on the podcast is what we do at SME Strategy. So I wanted to let you know that if you and your team are thinking about getting together you know, this winter or even in the new year for strategic planning, that we'd be happy to have a conversation to see how we might be able to help your team walk through the strategic planning process and make sure that your people, your strategy, your culture are on the same page. One of the most exciting parts about the work that we do is being able to lead people through a proven process to help them get to where they want to go. If you're interested about that process, our video about it on YouTube just hit over a million views. So be sure to check that out. Let us know what you think. Uh, But most importantly, I wanted to let you know that if you are looking for somebody to partner with your team to support everybody in getting aligned, moving forward towards a clear set of goals and objectives, and really making sure that you have the foundations for that next stage of growth, that we can partner with you to do that. Whether that's through an offsite strategic planning session or you know follow-up support services to keep you accountable, to help your team grow and develop, or really to lead a full transformation. So if you're interested, check out smestrategy.net. You can check out our about page, our services page. It'll tell you more about how we do things. And I'd be happy to have a conversation with you to see if we're a good fit to help. Thanks so much. I appreciate you listening to the podcast. And now let's get back into the episode.
So what I take away from that is if if you are on the call it attraction side, make sure that you're super clear about your outcomes and, and don't say like like for checking a box is kind of how I hear it. it it's actually make sure that there's the clearly articulated business case again, for lack of a better word, to say, hey, I want you because of X, Y, Z reason. And the female part is a bonus. What about on the flip side where, you know, you are trying to engage women leaders effectively and trying to get them you were inviting them so to speak to engage and they had their own barriers blocks again real or imagined what are some of the things that if a woman leader is listening right now and they say oh i have those things what would you say to them to overcome those barriers again real or imagined you know i think um a lot of studies have shown that when there's a job opening or an opportunity opportunity that requires a certain amount of skill set that men naturally will look at that. And if they can do 60% of the list, they'll be like, I'm in, pick me. Women, if we have 90% of the things on the list, we're like, ooh, maybe I should wait until I get that last thing on my resume. So what I would say to women is step into your power and give yourself the kind of grace that you give your counterparts. You know, often work quick to give credit to other people, a little slower to give credit to us. And be certain of who you are in the world. Therefore, you can direct your next steps as opposed to if an opportunity comes that doesn't light you up, figure out, does it not light you up because you're afraid, because you are perhaps not as confident, or does it not light you up because that isn't the direction you want to go in your career? Then perhaps the person who saw something in you to invite you in the first place would also respect you if you said, I am so flattered. Normally I would jump at the chance, but I am looking to pivot in this direction and your opportunity doesn't quite do that. First of all, you're being authentic, you're being honest, and who knows if this person may have an opportunity that fits exactly the sweet spot you're looking to go to. Yeah, perfect. And and the reason I ask, well, well, one, because I think it's a big issue. Two, there was an article on LinkedIn that came out today saying that it'll take 15 years to get gender parity on a board, which to me is ridiculous. Uh, But the fact- Yeah, like 200 years for gender parity on income. So there's that. Yes. Yeah. Well, well, we could talk about that for for a long time. Um, But what, (laughs) what, what I think is really cool about what you've done is that you created a platform for people to step into and it didn't exist. And you had to help people, you had to navigate that. And what you did was you created a space for other people without you to, like you say, put their hands up and it's created hundreds of million dollars of impact. And so I think that's a good lesson for leaders everywhere is if you create the space, you're clear about your intentions, you make it big enough that people can understand that there's they have skin in the game and not be afraid of doing it, that you can create like crazy huge impact. And that's what you've done through the work that you started 20 years ago, and that will continue for the next 20. So I just wanted to acknowledge you, but also really make sure that everybody saw that there was a teachable moment here that I think is at scale and and could benefit uh, pretty much er every area of life. Thoughts on that? (laughs) Thank you. That's very kind. Tell me about the book. Tell us about the book. What had you write it? Uh, what's your favorite part about it? And then we'll uh, finish up our talk for today. 
Oh my gosh. Well, I, it was one of those things where I had been asked to write a book. I always thought I would write a book, but you know, you're busy, life gets in the way. And it finally became the time. Carrie Mortgage of the Mortgage Family Foundation was launching a publishing arm of their foundation. She is an award-winning author who's written several books. And she really said, we're going to try this out. We want you to be the first one only if you're ready, only if you want to write a book. And I said, I've always wanted to write a book. So here we are. It was really hard in the beginning. This book is part memoir. So it's a little bit of my personal story and how I grew up. And it's weird because if you would have asked me before this process, Wendy, are you a private person? I would say I am absolutely an open book. Ask me anything and I'll tell you. But what I'd also say is that when you're at the hairdresser, and sorry, this is a very female example, but when you're at the hairdresser and if there are 20 women sitting in the chairs, 19 of those women are telling their life story to the lady who's cutting their hair. And one person is asking the lady who's cutting her hair about her story. I'm that one person, which means some of the stuff I wrote in the memoir part, like my closest friends didn't know about. So that was kind of weird that they didn't know. Like it was, that was hard for me. So there's part of that. So yes, you'll hear a little bit about my upbringing. And then it's really a very, I hope, inspiring and clear look at this is how it went. This is how amazing it was. But these are areas where I didn't really get it right. And, and a little bit of elevating this concept to not just demystify that founders who look like they have their act together and their website's pretty and they get, you know, their headshot has their hair and makeup done and you've got all that. That the reality is that it's if we just do the very best we can with the ideas, with the motivations we feel, whether you're in the for-profit space or the not-profit space and you're fair about what you do, giving other people credit, taking credit when it's due and and following those guides, amazing things can happen. Unexpected things can happen and that it's worth it. And I believe that it was also time, as much as it's grown, Impact 100 is kind of a well-kept secret. I don't know whether you've heard about it before you heard, you know, met me for this, but it's a kind of a well-kept secret. And I really felt that it was time to elevate the brand and tell the story because, you know, the next 20 years, my intent is to build up the structure of Impact 100 Global enough so that not only can I handle all of the incoming requests from both communities that want to launch and existing chapters with growing pains? But imagine a world if I could actually go out to underestimated, underrepresented communities and women and give them a personal invitation. When we rely on people to self-select, you're only going to get certain people. The idea of being able to proactively go into communities and help them launch, as well as proactively go out to existing chapters, knowing that certain milestones are going to hit in your organization and you're going to need help. We aren't there yet. And so I think the invitation here in the book is all about helping us for the next 20 years to make it sustainable, 
and to frankly allow it to raise to the full power it has the potential to be. But I have been in a capacity problem for the last few years. I hear that. Well, first of all, that's super cool. I think it's, I don't even know what I want to say. That's just awesome. Well done. Good job. Keep it up. (laughs) Thanks. The book, uh, I'm sure, is great. And I just look forward to hearing what you accomplish and what you keep coming up with over the next 20 years. So that's really where my head is at because I just see the potential. And I think that's awesome. I have heard of in Vancouver where I am, there's the thing they call the 100 men who give a damn and they similar kind (laughs) of concept. They ripped yours off. I mean, the point is that they give. But like what I think is the interesting thing is, hey, you were invited to write your book. And the theme is providing the invitation that anybody can accept or decline. And some people historically have never gotten an opportunity to do those things because no one's ever asked or no one's put put it in front of them. And I think that really good leaders do that. They help people get to where they want to go. And it sounds like as an organization, you know, once you get a couple things in order, then you'll be able to provide more of those invitation for more people, which will have more impact, which will just be even cooler. Wendy, where can people uh, learn about Impact 100? Where can they connect with you? And then we'll say goodbye. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. They can learn about Impact 100 at impact100global.org. So it's impact100global.org or me at wendyhsteel.com. The book comes out April 18th. So please, if you are interested, please read the book. It'll be at online retailers everywhere. Excellent. Wendy, thanks for chatting with me today. It's been a pleasure. I would love to have you back on the podcast and you can share some of the stories of the organizations you've worked with because I'd just love to hear more. I would love that. Anthony, thank you so much. This was a treat. It was my sincere pleasure. And folks, thank my guest, Wendy Steele, the author of Invitation to Impact and the founder and chief executive at Impact 100 Global. One of the cool things I'm taking away from this, among many, is that things don't need to be perfect for you to be able to do something cool. And something cool and something great can come in a lot of forms. It didn't start off at 126 million. It started off at 100 people. Your community could start off at two or three people. And for those two or three or five or 10 or 20 or 50 people, it'll make a big difference for them. So don't get limited by what you could or couldn't do and just start because that's how all great things happen. So Wendy, thank you so much for being here today. Really a personal and professional pleasure. And just thanks for sharing your story. And for everybody else, I appreciate you being here because without you, none of this would make a difference. And so I do it for you and I appreciate you. So my name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Thank you again, Wendy Steele, for joining me. And I'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We post twice a week, so you can count on us for your weekly source of content to help you grow and expand as a leader. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider giving us a review. We read every single one, and it helps us make a better show for you, the listener. Also, it helps more people find the show, which means we can help as many people as possible. We appreciate you listening and following along, and we hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. And as Anthony says, until next time.